0: Come to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. If ghosts aren't remnants of the dead, what are they? Could vampires really exist? Can ghosts write books? Hey there,
1: and welcome to the 511th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I'm Ben, and those varied questions came from my co-host and partner in the paranormal my dad and this evening we bring you the uh, second of two open line shows so we begin to catch up on uh, some of our many excellent questions that came in from our listeners not our questions they are your questions that came in to us and we are just getting around to some of them we also welcome your phone calls the number locally is 401-766-1240 and anywhere in the u.s. or canada 800-449-1240 so let's get this ball rolling
0: all right and we'll start with a bunch of questions that came in on Facebook. This is from Tony Garrett in Melbourne, Australia. Alrighty,
1: so Tony writes
0: well, to I'm us... Well, I'm in Australia for some
1: reason. Oh, is a fun place, full of fun I, people. I thought so. Uh, okay, so Tony writes to us, um, are uh, curses real or are they in the mind of the beholder? In Australia, the shamans can do a thing called uh, pointing the bone and people have died.
0: Yeah, I heard about that when I was there. Um... Uh, well, curses. It's funny, because I was in the Travel Channel production, The Curses of New England. I'm not aware of anybody around here who points the bone. At anybody, uh, I actually had a conversation, part of my conversation with an Australian Aboriginal elder in 1979 was on that very subject, curses. And I, I said, essentially, you know, you, you fellows kind of do that a lot. He said, well, no, we don't really, but... It really—he admitted it really depends on whether someone believes it or not. But of course, most of the people believe it. So, uh, and he also said it's very interesting that the custom of of considering pointing your finger at someone to be impolite is because from time out of mind shamans pointed their finger at you to put a curse on you. Mm. You know, that's over an oversimplification, but that was part of it. So that's why it's according to him that's why it's impolite to point your finger at people.
1: That's interesting. So yeah, I, like I, can, I yeah. can see that. I yeah. can see that being a, a reason for it. It's like why um, fire is so big in our culture is because that we needed it to survive. That sort of thing. It's like people who came, yeah. who ha, who like were taking care of the fire back in the days of our ancient Neanderthal ancestors. Like they would make the people who were in control of the fire the uh, the uh, leaders of the tribe or whatever.
0: Really? All right. Well, Some, I like
1: I, I may be getting, I may be butchering that completely, but I just I don't know why. The, Popped into my
0: well, head. Well, it certainly was important. Yeah. Some of the fires that we've had in the, some of these old New England towns, though, where everything's made of wood, have not been pleasant experiences, of course. No. Oh. All right. No. Well, in any case, curses, um, I tend to think it is more in the eye of the beholder, as, as uh, Tony writes. Um, what power do these things have? It's kind of the reverse of, I suppose, objects that do positive things or help you do positive things this is kind of a, a sort of an inverted sense of of the kind of question that we often get um, if you have holy water or if you have a cross, will you be safer in paranormal situations okay. And the answer very often is yes, but you really need to have the faith that goes with it. I mean Jesus did all these miracles, but he didn 't force it on people. He said, "Your faith has made you well or whatever the case may have been, so you participate in that everything that has to do with uh, the paranormal requires your participation if you're going to experience in it in some way. So I think that um, if you believe it, it's more, most likely to happen. I think that the that the belief in curses and this kind of thing is deep within us. Maybe it's even in our DNA in some way, because uh, everyone, I don't, even the most uh, I suppose rational so quote unquote people whom I know, will say that you know, they they kind of get a twinge of something, a little bit nervousness when someone uh, is really negative or says a very negative thing to them, that kind of business. So, yeah. um, Have you run into any of that? Because you've d- done a little bit of uh shamanic research and training and stuff like that. Well, the... Has ever, has that ever come n- up?
1: No, surprisingly.
0: Well, good. I suppose, you know, any kind of negativity. There yeah, is, there I, is a, I'd
1: stay away from that stuff.
0: Well, there is a strong belief, and I think it's a legitimate one, that if you bring in negativity like that, it will be sort of returned to you. It kind of boomerangs. Oh, I'm supposed to stick with the Australian theme. It kind of boomerangs on you. Uh, the, the negative now we just stuff.
1: need to make a kangaroo pun and we're all set.
0: All right, I'm working on it. Uh, we could bounce right into that, I suppose. Ah, uh, did you? So, uh, but I think that uh, it is largely in a uh, matter of uh, of your own faith, even in the negative. That kind of thing. Uh, there are real negative things out there. There is real evil. which well, I
1: is... as a kid, you told me like never to do stupid things or it'll come back to you at, at some point
0: oh did i well i was right i think yeah, yeah yeah all right okay so i think that is pretty much in the eye of the beholder but, th- but that doesn't mean that you should discount dispose it. yourself to these things or to right. discount them because there's always something beyond yourself right. really and if parasites are involved uh that takes some caution parasites being the entities we always talk about as uh, i suppose what is uh, commonly known in folklore as demonic uh beings or things of this kind. There do seem no, to be life forms that do feed upon negative stuff. I don't think they're, you know, servants of the devil in that sense. And theologically, that's that's how we make ourselves understand them. Uh, but th- nevertheless, it is, it is a real, real problem. So, yeah, I think uh, th- that's a good question, Tony. Thank you for asking it. And I think... Um Eh, beware of it, but I don't think that they uh, you have no control over it. You, I think that, that, That's the thing. all these paranormal situations, you have a certain amount of control. Don't let it control you. All right, here's one from uh, Helena Marquez. doesn't say where she's from.
1: Alrighty, so uh, she, there, Helena writes to us, I just read your book, Turning Home, and I see your point, but if ancient people always associate the intruders or visitors that mess with us as sky people, how could they come from other times and places in the multiverse?
0: Right, I think I can see what Hel- Helena or Helen is getting at here. Well, I made many points in Turning Home. A lot of people don't like that book because it it wasn't like my, the two before that, which had a lot of case histories and stuff. It's this was a lot of
1: throwing off the uh, philosophy the, the and interpretation.
0: Flow. Yeah, and, and so a lot of my, my traditional readers didn't particularly like it. A, a lot of them, people either love it or hate it. Turning Home, God, Ghost, and Human Destiny. But in any case...
1: can't imagine what the next one's going to be. Well, what the next one's reception's going to be.
0: Well, well you, you're the co-author. What do you mean I can't imagine what... The, well, actually, the next one is supposed to be The Dancing Past the Graveyard, which I have yeah, yet to finish.
1: That's the one I'm talking about. I keep finding about. stuff I want
0: to add to it. That's only, what, four years? Oh, dear. <laughs> well, get it done. I Maybe mean, another decade it'll come out. Yeah, well, whatever. Time flies and you're having fun. Okay, uh, intruders or visitors that Helena is referring to are... This gets into the ancient astronauts so-called kind of thing. There are lots of things on the um, cable channels that some of them seem to be just paranormal channels now of of one level of quality or another. And the intruders are visitors. I think there is something to that, but I'm not necessarily convinced that whoever messed with us. One of the things that really did it for me, Ben, you know, was when the human genome project occurred in the... um, the last decade, yeah. and that found, what, what, it, what it attempted to do was map the entire uh, human genome, all, all the genes, uh, the, the whole DNA, bunch of DNA sequences that makes us human, right, as opposed to chimps or something, right? So that came up with a very strange finding that there are 223 genes in the human sequence that shouldn't be there, that that came from somewhere uh, that did not match the evolutionary history of the human species, supposedly. And uh, what does that mean? Does it mean someone put them there, or or where did it come from? Uh, The best the scientists could do, at least the last I heard, was was that they were able to suggest that there was some sort of... of, uh, quote, horizontal transfer from bacteria. Now, what that may mean, I have no idea. I'm no biologist, but for heaven's sake.
1: I mean, like, uh, what's it called? Like that space dust that we, our planet travels through?
0: Like- well, yeah, th- that, that's the panspermia theory that was advanced by someone I greatly admired, Sir Fred Hoyle, the great uh, British astronomer. And he suggested that, as we've said on the show before, that life is not the exception in the universe. It is not a rarity. It is the rule. Right. Many, many different kinds of life. The kind of, of things we believe we run into in paranormal research in different cases that are not human and are still around. So that, that, that's something that occurred to me as far as these intruders or visitors were concerned. I think there was some kind of intrusion or probably of many kinds from what we often think of as parallel worlds this is postulated in quantum physics the fringe areas of physics where the math seems to indicate beyond a doubt that we are conscious of just one manifestation of reality mm-hmm. and that there are many parallel ones right next to us and in which all possibilities occur that this is what many physicists believe now this is how they interpret the science it's really weird and it's kind of scary it's not very scary but that's apparently the way it is and we believe this explains the paranormal so what we're getting at here helena is that these intruders or visitors that i talk about in the book turning home were i think of two kinds early on there were i think parasitical influences and th- these entities seem to they they're not human they're not they're not demons in any classical sense i've run into them in poltergeist cases on a number of occasions ben and i have run into them on, on a number of occasions yeah. working together we believe they are simply life forms who have access to a number of different parallel worlds crazy as it sounds and they seem to live if you want to say between worlds they seem to have uh, i've seen them working in several worlds at the same time almost like you might think of an octopus reaching into a number of different uh whatever, spaces.
1: Well, her question was not what is it, but how.
0: Okay. Oh, okay. Well, these are... Okay, all right. Well, let's shift gears here. Whoever these intruders or visitors were who influenced us, who were not parasites, I believe there were some human intrusions by accident or design. But you saying if they came from the sky and landed... Well, I don't think it's, it's that they were necessarily ancient... Space travelers—they might have been—but what, what kind of was the giveaway for me was that, was that you've got DNA work apparently going on. There seems to have been, and this is from the ancient documents, not just Genesis. If you read it in the original Hebrew, uh, also uh, several other documents from the uh, Akkadians, the uh, Babylonians, Sumerians uh, that were contemporary with Genesis. They talk about really agricultural experiments and really genetic experiments, experiments with DNA, taking saliva and blood from one of these travelers and using it to manipulate the native population, uh, apparently to turn them into some kind of workers. I mean, Weird as this sounds, this is what it says. So what we're talking about here is uh, if these are alien visitors you would have to have very, very similar DNA to theirs in order for them to manipulate it. Now, of course, we're talking about there is gene splitting now, and, and the, the things that, like this can be manipulated, but it, it can be difficult to conceive on the face of it that these would not be humans themselves. And whether humans live on other planets is, another, is, is a big open question. I mean, I, I tend to rather doubt it. I mean, aliens would be alien, I would think. So that's why my suspicion is that they came from... The sky, sure, but in aircraft, perhaps, I mean, not necessarily like saying, in spaceships.
1: Well, that's like saying if somebody comes from like Atlanta to like Woonsocket or whatever, and they flew here, then it's like, well, how do we know they're from Atlanta?
0: Well, particularly because there's no airport in Woonsocket.
1: Right. Well, right. The, the the point be, the point being is that just because they came from the sky doesn't mean that they, they
0: didn't came from have, outer space. Right. Right. Uh, because whatever what, when you see and again, you know, where do I get this? Well, you're looking back on a number of cases that I have in my files about people who disappeared, sometimes with their cars, sometimes, of course, we're all familiar perhaps with the, the so-called Bermuda Triangle and the phenomena that allegedly occur there. There have uh, indeed been many disappearances regardless of the cause. But it is possible that these, we always say these, these multiversal boundaries do cross at times. They overlap these worlds, and you can see... Perhaps creatures you're not used to seeing in this world. I and mean, All this stuff can happen. It's, it is, uh, it seems chaotic, but it does seem to be a rather elegant system. So in the same way, groups of people with their equipment might vanish and have. Where do they go? Uh, if they were not lost or crashed or end up at the bottom of the ocean, it is possible that they could have crossed one of these world boundaries. And I think that that's what I'm talking about in that book, right. uh, based on the question that Helen is asking. So they aren't necessarily... Aliens from other planets could be, but I rather doubt it. I think they're us, perhaps, from uh, another time or place in the multiverse, another place that might not even exist in our particular consciousness stream. And uh, whoever it was seems to have had uh, the the ancient documents talk about them flying around in craft, uh, visiting each other. They became the gods of various cities. The cities were named after them. Uh, They were... It's all in Turning Home, God, Ghosts, and Human Destiny, which is available on Amazon.com if you want to buy it. But anyway, that's, uh, it's, they're not new ideas, but I tend to think that they, uh, they were not from necessarily other planets. But again, who knows? All right. Long answer to a short question. Sorry about that. This is from Marie in Attleboro, Massachusetts.
1: Alrighty, so Marie writes to us I've always been interested in UFOs and wanted to get uh, to the UFO conference in October to meet you, but I could not One of the biggest mysteries to me is the idea that a crowd of people could, can be in the same place, but some see the UFO and some do not Have you seen that and what is it about? I also think people should pay more attention to your idea that aliens could be parasites and uh, parasites could be aliens I think um, I had an experience
0: like that Hmm. Okay. Uh, first of all, the conference that, uh, Marie refers to was the first New England UFO conference in Lemonster, Massachusetts in October, organized brilliantly by our good friend Steve Fermani, and you'll be hearing more about the uh, the, uh, the next one in 2014 as soon as we have information on that. Ben and I usually are there in one, uh, form or another, uh, doing something of interest, and, uh,
1: to your her her question. <laughs>
0: to answer your question, uh, alright. Well, okay. This is one. This is a question I've always I've always had too, uh, Marie. People often will stand. They'll be in a group, and uh, I'm thinking of several cases. One or two in Connecticut, uh, and a number of, uh, of, of cases in South America where pe- uh, groups of people have been talking about uh, seeing UFOs, and people in the same group will not see the UFO.
1: Well, you know, it's a little fun thing about that. To, sorry to cut you off.
0: No, it's fine. Um, right
1: there was an interesting um, scientific conclusion that came to a human vision. It turns out that we all have selective sight where our brain sort of picks and chooses what it wants to see. Hmm. So it's like how people can hide in plain sight and stuff like that because the person who is pursuing them, their brain is picking and choosing what they want to see. So your brain picks and chooses what it wants to see all they want, which is why um, I have... I have trouble reading out loud because <laughs> my brain picks and chooses what it wants to read.
0: <laughs> well, to build a little bit upon that, we, when we, we, we are, um, our instincts are geared to, uh, to seeing and sensing danger. So we're going to see things. The first things we're going to see are things that might be a danger to us. Right. And something from the unknown, a large craft or whatever these things may be in any case, I would think that that would be one of the first things you'd see. The thought on this, such as it is, is that these things are piloted craft by somebody or perhaps even living things themselves that have some way of manifesting across world boundaries that are apparent to some people and not to others. Right. Some people are sensitive to that and not to others. But but I don't know if that's good enough. How do you think that might work? Because there are so many examples of, of... these groups seeing things. I mean, short of what we used to call uh, uh, what was it, the group hysteria? Or well, I wouldn't say it's group hysteria. You know, it's I, I don't even know if I'd call days it in psychology.
1: Well, I don't, I don't know if it would even be like schizophrenia or whatever. Because if it's a group of people, I mean, that sort of lends credence to um, the experience. But I'm going to stick with uh, what I was mentioning earlier, and that the brain picks and chooses what it wants to see. Yeah, perhaps. Yeah, I'm going to stick. I'm going to stick with that. Or you could go the really weird route and say um, that the UFO reveals itself to different people. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm not really sure, honestly. I'm not well-versed enough to give a concrete explanation or whatever.
0: You know, I think back to that report we received from someone in Connecticut who wrote in who said that they saw a UFO, and this, I think, was part of the Hudson Valley sightings, that occurred. Uh, right. Large groups of people saw these things, but again, some people did not. In the Hudson Valley of New York, uh, along Route eighty, I believe it's Route eighty-nine there, the, the Northway as they call it. But this fellow was in Connecticut, and he said that this this craft. He was walking to his front door. A craft passed over a neighboring house, and he felt uh, as if he was being tested. That was his word, and I've, I've mentioned that several times. But it, I just I can't get over that. It's a very interesting way to put that. But many other people who were on the street at the same time driving, but nobody else reported, uh, only two other people, as I recall, reported seeing that same craft. So if it's only one person out of a bunch, you say, well, maybe it's a little fluky, or they just imagine it, or it's some other thing. But when you have lar- large numbers of people who see it, and large numbers of people who don't in the same place at the same time, that's, I think, what we're getting at in this question that we're right. asked here. So, uh, you know, another thing, Ben, that comes to mind is uh, some of the, the sightings of, of a religious nature the um i'm thinking particularly of the sightings of the virgin mary at, at medjugorje in oh
1: in really? Europe, yeah. yeah
0: in the the former yugoslavia as it's sometimes referred to there were people in huge numbers who saw things and other people who did not the famous uh, so-called miracle of the sun that which occurred at, at fatima uh in uh, portugal in in i believe it was 1917 if I'm not mistaken, uh, was a, a miracle recognized by the Roman Catholic Church. And there, there was a, uh, first of all, you shouldn't stare at the sun anyway. So there have been speculation, maybe it was a UFO. And, and, and there have been, there were other also reports that that was a fairy cave for centuries. That sounds and, less crazy. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, the, the place was is saturated with paranormal folklore. Many of these places are. So in any case, uh, I think I don't really know uh, how to answer the question, Marie. There's no solid answer to that. But again, I think Ben may be onto to something that the things we experience are very much uh, having to do with our brain and what it chooses to see. And uh, now your final point, uh, you think people should pay more attention to the idea that aliens could be parasites and parasites aliens. We've often said that many of these experiences could be uh, interpreted in the context in which we experience them. For example, as uh, they often say, if you're... In your house, and a sort of gauzy cloud-like figure goes by, or someone you see actually see someone walk by. Aha! It's a ghost. If you are out in your yard and you see it, and there's there's a ball of light or or a a disc over it. Aha! It's an alien. So we've often found that people have interpreted. And there's a case in Florida now that we've been taking a look at look at there through several of our well-known contacts down there in the UFO field of UFO cases that seem to intersect. With ghost cases, we've run into that a lot. If you look for it, you find all sorts of connections that, that w- would, in traditional paranormal research, would be considered um, hard to accept. All right? mm. So uh, again, I think many people might uh, just be interpreting it according to the context. We do find that sometimes these grays or whatever will turn out to be parasites or vice versa. Uh, mostly they turn out to be parasites, though, sometimes. And uh, Nigel Kerner in England, whom we've had on the show several times, not this edition, but the CBS edition, uh, believes that that's uh, really precisely what they are, that they, they are after our energy and, and this sort of thing, and that they're not, not good, good folks at all. So that's probably the best we can do with that one. The next one is from Tammy K. doesn't say where she's from.
1: Uh, all right. Tammy Kay writes to us, uh, th- 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 it was amazing to hear you guys with Bill Hall on the uh, Lindley Street Poltergeist case. My dad was one of the people in the crowd outside the house that cold week. He says he remembers seeing you come out. It it always has uh, seemed strange to me that so many things can happen in such a small house. The gossip around the area at the time was that it was the ghost of the dead son that was jealous of the little girl. I know you don't think that, but how has your view changed over the last 40 years?
0: Well, one's views do change over 40 years. Well, you know, we, we tell, dealt with this case certainly last week with Bill Hall, who was a, a very nice fellow who was, uh, provided me with some very interesting information today about some stuff I didn't know about this case. This was in November 1974, just very briefly. November 24th was a Sunday. I was on my way to the home of Ed and Lorraine Warren, who are now well-known for the Conjuring film the case in the Conjuring film, which I will not comment on. And they, Lorraine was a a really tremendous cook, and I couldn't wait to get down. We were going to have dinner and uh, have a nice visit, but it was not to happen. This case was breaking in Bridgeport, about 10 miles from where they lived, and so I walked right into the middle of that and went down with them and Father William Charbonneau, a priest of the Archdiocese of Hartford at the time. I, myself, was a seminary student. And the four of us kind of w- moved in on this and were there for the, the better part of two and a half, three days in this house. And all kinds of amazing poltergeist events occurred. And I began to really rethink many of the ideas that I'd had. It was my first major poltergeist case. I'd been involved since 71, so three years in, in paranormal research. And oh, and it was it was really a difficult situation for me because nothing made sense. I knew that there were houses where things flew around, and supposedly the child, and there was one in the house, who'd now be 49 years old, uh, was the center of the phenomena. Thing objects were moving. I, I was hit by things several times, uh, injured in one case. Uh, police and firefighters uh, witnessed this. There were all sorts of police reports on this, and, and Mr. Hall is writing a book about this, uh, and it's, uh, I think it's going to be really interesting. Um, as a matter of fact, I'm, I'm one of the few surviving major eyewitnesses, major in the sense of being in the house for several several days and uh, for long periods. So in any case, uh, it was a very small house. Uh, it, is, it was just a little bungalow, and but you'd be surprised what was going on in there. All the more difficult for the child to have caused these things. That was my, my job was to keep an eye on little Marcy uh, for, um, uh, to see that she was not doing any of these things herself. 300-pound uh, refrigerators, things like that. All right, so uh, at this point we're going to take a break and we'll, we'll just we'll finish up the question in, in just a moment. So, you're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WOON 1240 in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley and we'll be right back.
1: Lou Mandeville here to tell you the only place to get your local high school and college scores, as well as the Pats, Bruins, Celtics, and Sox, is on My Morning Sports Reports. And they are right here on ON 1240, Monday through Friday, on the Morning Fun Show.
0: Okay, we wanted, of course, to remind you about the charities Ben and I have adopted. Uh, there is, of course... Uh, USA Cares, Builders Helping Heroes, this is all dot .org, USA Cares.org, Builders Helping org, which is a local Rhode Island charity which has worked with Homes for Our Troops uh, to build a home in Burlville, Rhode Island for the uh, Dubois family, Kevin Dubois, Corporal Kevin Dubois, U.S. Marines. Lost both his legs in Afghanistan, and this house is being specially adapted for him. And uh, brand new, built, uh, the key ceremony will be on the 21st of this month of December, uh, Sherman, Road, Sherman Farm Road in Boroughville, great, great uh, project. A lot of people worked on it, tremendous uh, charity effort, and uh, they, they are a very deserving young couple who are going to receive this house. Also, Canadian Veterans Advocacy, check that out as well, canadianveteransadvocacy.org. Great charity uh, from our neighbors and, and friends uh, who have been with us in the war on terror in Canada, so check that out as well. Also, the Milk Fund here uh, on uh, locally in northern Rhode Island, Marvelous charity at auction here at WON. Uh, check out uh, com for information. And uh, we are going to be an hour earlier uh, broadcast next week. And we'll talk, tell you about that at the end of the show in order to accommodate a milk fund uh, fundraiser. So, there we are. So, let's uh, just finish up. The uh, note here from Tammy about the Bridgeport poltergeist outbreak of 1974, as I call it, also known as the Lindley Street case. Uh, yeah, I, I heard at the time that this this ghost thing was was uh, rumored to be the cause. I don't believe that, as Tammy points out. The uh, older couple, I older, middle-aged, I guess to me they were older. I was 21 at the time. <laughs> yeah, there there you go. Uh, <laughs> I must be ancient to you, Ben. Uh, so they, they were in their 40s. They had had a son who had... Uh, the, who had passed away before, uh, in earlier in their lives, and they had adopted uh, Marcy, who was an Iroquois Indian descent a girl from Canada, and that was uh, naturally people began speculating. Aha, you got stuff going on in the house. Aha, must be a ghost. Therefore, must be the sun You know, th- this is the logic that we use, and I don't believe any of that really, at all. Uh, I think these, this was a parasite situation uh, from start to finish. Uh, and uh, her final question, I know you do not think that's what it was, but how has your view changed over the over almost 40 years? Well, again, especially the experiences on the, uh, the Monday night of the case, uh, the day after we had gotten there, there was, uh, I, I would call it an attack by four entities. You could see these gauzy structures, which Mr. Hall says other witnesses have reported as well and they came down, they they attacked the child, I was trying to protect her, I had a physical altercation with one of these things, which kind of threw me for a loop, not just because it was ultra scary, but because these things seemed to be physical, they didn't seem to be spirits in any sense, and all along, of course with my seminary background, I was assuming these were demons in this business, and um, that really began to change my thinking, so... All you have to do is listen to some of our podcasts of this show, and we make pretty clear what I, what I think uh, uh, over the uh, the past forty years. my opinions have have changed of course on that so there we are uh, that's probably the best way I can answer that, but thank you for asking the question and it's really cool that your uh, I guess it was your father was was outside the house and yeah at the time there are a lot of people gather around that house. All right the next one is from Diana Dancero, and it just says Rhode Island.
1: Alrighty, so Diana writes to us, I have found your ideas on ghosts interesting, to say the least. Uh, If they are um, not spirits of the dead, why do they act like it? Why do they come through mediums and talk about their lives? I think some might be other world people, like you say, but I still think they are spirits of the dead. Uh, Take it away, Beck. Well, I mean, no, you take it away, I'll jump in. All right. I need, to, I need to develop my thoughts here.
0: Okay. Well, th- th- this is a basic question that we often get, and we, again, w- when paranormal experiences occur, and what is the paranormal? Well, oh, well, that's a misnomer. Paranormal is entirely normal. It is the normal state of the planet, the normal state of, of the universe, which is what? The multiverse. These worlds seem to interact all the time. There is an elegance and an order to it. It doesn't seem like it to us because we have a very narrow point of view. We operate from very narrow framework, very narrow thinking, and we think that what we see is what we get all around us, and it's not. Uh, Every possibility, as we say, exists out there all simultaneously. Uh, Einstein began to prove this, and it's now pretty much accepted. There is no past. There is no future. It's all simultaneous, Uh, and it all depends on our awareness and our perception. So uh, the, the idea of ghosts being spirits of the dead is a problem for me because you can't have death. When there's no past, everything's simultaneous, you, 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 death is impossible. Sure, and especially when, the, when there are many, many versions of you and us and me and everybody out there in the multiverse in some time or space, elsewhere or else when, and it's all us, it's all one being, you can't really have death. Sure, we go to funerals, we go to cemeteries and bury people, but for heaven's sake, uh, I don't believe in death even for the body, because that body exists in many parallel worlds, and that's why we see people who have died, but then it's not their ghosts, it's them, in parallel worlds where they never died. What does it mean to act like a ghost? Well, I, th- I think I, I can see what Diana means here.
1: They, they act like a dead person. <laughs>
0: Well, I mean, dead. Pe- well, that's what I mean, dead people would be dead. They wouldn't act at all in any way. And they, you know, so th- that's what th- that hit me in my first case in 1971 that these people weren't acting like they were dead at all. Never mind in some. Plus, other if they're shape. speaking
1: through mediums, how do you know what it's well, that, saying? Well, that's the thing. Yeah, that I mean, always that's...
0: struck me. You know, people believe th- they just buy this. How do you know? First of all, if the media is not faking it. Medium, I should say. Media fake it, too. Uh, And how do you know that that what's coming through, if there really is something, is what it says it is? That's a really dangerous assumption.
1: Yeah,
0: it is. We've we've seen that time and again. And especially young people. You know, these these parasites will will prey on, among other things, young people who are lonely and down and out and bitter and angry and fearful. And uh, they'll... Yeah, You often see it. Remember, remember that we've had a number of cases where the young person is sort of holed up. They hardly ever come out of their room. They're using a Ouija board. Yeah. And the parents are, are upset. They don't know what to do because they don't know anything about this either. And what's happening is that the young people are, they feel like failures. They're angry and bitter, but they have this cosmic being or this enlightened guide or whatever you want to call it coming through this board, paying attention to them. That's a big deal when you're a young person. And it's unimaginably dangerous.
1: Well, I mean, it's just like weird that it's it's not questioned. that It's like, oh, hi, I'm your great aunt Gertrude. But some woman could come up to you on the street and be like, hey, I'm your great aunt Gertrude. You're going to get a lot of money in a few days. Yeah. It's like, oh, wow, thanks. That's awesome. Wow, this person just told me that my great aunt, that everyone would just look at you like... Why would you, why would you believe that?
0: <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't believe somebody they walked up to you, Would you believe some kind of thing coming through this board, if indeed that's what or it is. Pers-
1: or person, or whatever. Yeah. Plus, how do you know the medium's not messing with
0: you? <laughs> well, sure. And I'll let me give our numbers again. I never do that. People think we don't welcome, callers. we do. Uh, the number is, of course, locally, 401-766-1240, or from anywhere in the U.S. and Canada, 800-449-1240. Station, uh, on the dial, 1240, that's how you can remember the number, I guess. So, in any case, people are welcome to call in. Uh, alright. So, I think that that's, um, so they're, they're acting like they're dead. They're coming through mediums and Ouija boards and saying, well, I'm dead, and, uh, this is who I was, and I'm your distant ancestor, or some kind of thing. And people's, people have often, uh, the Ouija board seems to be being rehabilitated lately, Ben. At least th- that, that. mean. Well, in the sense that there, there seems to be more positive feeling for it than there was wasn't 20 years ago, at least from my perspective. People often write to us and say, well, what are you doing talking about the Ouija board? I use it and have no problem with it in this business.
1: I mean, I think the, the, uh, the icing on that uh, Ouija board cake, so to speak, would be um, I saw a furniture set. Designed as like a Ouija board where the no way. Where, yeah where the dial thing was like the coffee table and the board. Are itself. you serious? Yeah, and the coffee table was the rug underneath and had like love seats. And I was oh. just
0: like, why? <laughs> well, why? naturally, parasites would encourage this because they can push buttons. They're, uh, they're unfortunately unlike mosquitoes and other parasites, they are very intelligent. They learn about you and they, they learn quickly and they they push buttons in order to pump anger and fear out of you and annoy it so they can eat. That, that, that's really what it comes down to. That's how they live. Yeah. So in any case, I think Ouija boards are, the, are one of the main dinner bells that they that they use. So um, again, maybe, you know, is it possible that, that someone might actually come through on that? I suppose it is. Someone that is what it says it is or someone who's, you know, but I, I just can't see that, that being used. I, as I've often compared it with uh, you you want to meet your neighbor. You want to contact somebody, and so you take a bulldozer and, and, and you know KO their front living room wall. Hello Instead neighbor. of waiting for them to come out and work in their garden, and say hey, hello. I'm so and so. You know the uh, the violence with which these things can punch holes in the boundaries of space time does not attract good things. That's no, like sharks. Yeah. Yeah, like sharks. Exactly. It's terrifying. And people's naivete and, 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 and even arrogance at times will will be a problem for this. All right, so that, that's, that's essentially it. Uh, so I don't think these... So, well, the other question, somebody even wrote in, and, and I thought of this too, if everything that we can conceive of does exist somewhere in the multiverse, there must be spirits of the dead somewhere in the multiverse, simply because we can conceive of that. All right? Yeah. I accept that. But it's like worlds in which human beings can fly. A physicist will tell you that uh, the the laws of physics being different from many worlds, in many worlds than they are here, that those worlds would be extremely rare. They would exist, but be extremely rare. I think that's the case with the, the spirits. I think that worlds in which human beings can become spirits, you know, totally incorporeal beings, are there, but they are rare. If and when they would manifest here, I've never seen it. And that's, you know, yeah, no, 43 lying. years later. So, anyway, there we are. On that note. Okay. So, um, why? what else is going on? No, no, nothing. All right. Well, we have uh, one from Liz in Douglas, Massachusetts.
1: Erdie, So, Liz uh, writes to us, I looked through your podcasts. Thanks for them and not charging for them. <laughs> I do not see any shows about vampires. Uh, they are very popular now, and do you plan to do a show on them? What is your thought on vampires, and can they exist? I think we did... No, I don't think we did a specific show I on vampires. I don't think vampires. we did a
0: specific show. They come up because I think that, that, that these parasites, we were always yeah, talking about. Yeah, but not, not are like are the, the uh, blah,
1: blah, suck your blood vampires. Well, right, uh, right, right. Yeah, I, we yeah. Like that. Well,
0: I think the parasites are responsible for the original legends of vampires. Because oh, yeah. They, that's what they do. The uh, the actual vampires themselves, They, I think we, well, a long time ago, we, we met, because in, in my book, Faces at the Window, there is a chapter on the vampires of, of Rhode Island. Uh, because in southern New England, and uh, in, in, probably elsewhere too, around I suppose the time of the American Revolution, up to about the 1890s, believe it or not, which is yesterday historically, there were was a belief. That in, in vampires. Now, and I'm, I'm still trying to figure out where that belief came from. Germany. I don't know. Well, probably Germany, Eastern Europe, certainly. But it was it's very much like the beliefs of the uh, Eastern Europeans. And, and now that does not necessarily correspond with the movies and the books that we read about it. No. The actual belief was, and it was reflected in New England at least at the time, was that uh, a certain... Uh, people could become vampires through an evil spirit and they would prey not on just anybody but on their own relatives Okay, now I can see the whole idea of disease spreading through a family as being partially responsible for that legend but on the other hand you have reports sometimes by multiple people of the dead person appearing by the side of their sister or brother or something um, after the fact. So th- this, is, this is what's going on. And this is what supposedly occurred in. Uh, well, I'm thinking particularly of, of the Mercy Brown case in Exeter, Rhode Island. Oh yes. You know, and uh, and I first found out about that when I was a reporter down there in the late '70s at the uh, dear old uh, Patuxent Valley Daily Times, now the Kent County Daily Times. And I was a writer of history as well, so I would write a lot of features on the history of the area. And around Halloween, I came upon that. And now everybody drags that story out on Halloween. And it was first written about in 1894, I believe, in a, a rather distinguished Providence literary publication where they were saying that uh, a family in Exeter was considering this remedy for vampires, that they were going to exhume the body. And th- I apologize if this is rather vivid, but cut out the heart and oh, yeah. burn it. on a st- And, and the, the stone on which they did that at, on the advice of a doctor, is, can still be seen in that cemetery. Now, the thing that really got me was these, these. These were the Browns of these were not country bumpkins. These were these were people who were uh, who, uh, one of the most descendants of, of some of the most distinguished uh, colonial gentry in the history of this state. Brown University mm-hmm. in Providence, founded by one of the Browns, and these were rural gentlemen farmer types. And that their daughter Mercy had, had died of what we, what at the time they would, I guess, call consumption, which is really pulmonary tuberculosis, as we would call it <laughs> today. And uh, the whole thing got out of control, and, and I don't know if it was out of control, but but the, the doctor advised this remedy, because he couldn't think of anything else. One of the, uh, one of the, the brothers, uh, was taken ill as well. He went to, out west to try and recover. But I mean, it seems to me this is just, Tuberculosis spreading through a family. Of course, that's highly contagious. But there seemed to be the apparitions of uh, the, the the girl. And when the body was exhumed, she was found to be, in, she looked like she was in the pink of health, uh, full of fresh blood, according to the witnesses. And, of course, that could be explained by the fact that she died in the winter and she would not have been buried until the ground thawed. And uh, in that case, there would would have been no deterioration. She would have just frozen, right? Yeah. So again, apologies for the vivid nature of that, but that, that's what happened. Now that was repeated on a number of occasions in various parts of New England in that whole century, from the re- time of the Revolution up through and past the 1870s up to the 1890s. But it, it was I couldn't. when I found that in the Providence Public Library all those years ago. I couldn't believe that a family at, at that late date was still contemplating that kind of remedy, that kind of thing. And so, the, uh, but they, they did it, and it was reported uh, in, the, in that uh, contemporary uh, source, media source. So there it was, but as far as I know, that was the last time that occurred. Now, that's a, so the belief in the vampires was a far cry From any actual vampire experiences, other than the people who had the sightings, yeah. So I, so I don't really believe it. I think that it's there are examples of of medical conditions which would uh, account for it. Also, uh, this leads into the question of lycanthropy, Uh, werewolves, right? They tend to be, I don't know, they seem to be being rehabilitated as well, in in the literature, in movies and things, yeah. And you know, it's amazing what people believe. There's a whole zombie business and all this stuff. It's incredible what people will believe. See the, uh, the 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 terrible disease known as lupus uh, is where hair can can at times grow in different parts of the body is sometimes um, uh, considered responsible for some of the legends of werewolves and lycanthropy and and this sort of thing and shape shifting in general it all gets into some of these ancient beliefs.
1: Well, I heard a, I heard another story about that too, where it was uh, some guy who had lupus who was actually uh, schizophrenic or whatever and thought he was a wolf. And so he'd like go on killing sprees and such. So yeah. uh, I heard that was that was where they came from. Anyway, yeah, there are all France, sorts of psychiatric
0: yeah. conditions that, that, that create problems here. So uh, I, I don't actually think that there are really vampires in the classical sense or but again, you know, people say aha Paul somewhere I mean, in the are, multiverse, there must
1: be. There are weird communities of people who call themselves vampires. That's and, really and, sick. Yeah, it's really
0: yeah. yeah, it's weird. Yeah, they actually drink you know, it's, yeah, it's, weird. it's disgusting. But uh, if there are in the multiverse somewhere, they don't seem to be here. You know, the, whether the crossovers, I don't know so uh, that's the best uh, way we can answer that but there's one uh, the final one here on the Facebook we didn't get to any of the others actually just through the Facebook ones I wanted to get to the last one before we uh, we enter that because it's interesting
1: Okay, so uh, (laughs) Carl from Maine writes to us I was just reading about two women who wrote books and they said they were uh, dictated by the ghost of Mark Twain could this be possible Oh, didn't we have another question like this last night we had a
0: question like that just last night Yeah, although it didn't have to do with Mark Twain it had to do with Charles Dickens (laughs) (laughs) all the guys from the the 19th century well, I, I um, actually know a little bit about that, Carl. Um, there was a woman named Emily Grant Hutchings. She wrote a book called Jeb Heron that she said was dictated to her through a Ouija board by Mark Twain. Believe it or not, you can find the book on Amazon. And it actually says in the title that it was, came through a novel written through a Ouija board. Right? Is it any good? I, 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 did, I looked at it years ago. I, it, did, it didn't really have the style of Mark Twain. It was all right. She wrote several other books as well under her own name. But she actually knew Mark Twain,
1: oh, right? who
0: died in 1910, and he lived in Hartford,
1: oh, as a matter of fact. Oh,
0: right. And he uh, corresponded with her and gave her advice on her writing. Now, I don't know if he gave her enough to write something that supposedly was by him, but he himself would have had some pungent comments about uh, about the, this, this this uh Allegation that he was dictating a book through the Ouija board because when he did, he seemed to have lost his wit. you uh, can 't imagine Mark Twain without his wit. Mm. There was another author who, who did not know Twain, uh, Mildred Swanson, uh, she wrote a diary of her supposed communications again through a Ouija board with Mark Twain All right and so it wasn 't actually a novel dictated by him, but this Emily Grant Hutchings did so you know you can know it's still in print, you can get it and see what you think. Is it possible? Well, sure it's possible, because as we said last night on our CBS edition, people are one real, really one mass mind. There's, there's a certain unity among all of us, and in one or another part of the multiverse, you could be, and probably are, Mark Twain, right? in one form or another, so there can be a sort of conjunction of minds there, because it's really one mind. I mean, it's a tough concept, but that's what it seems to be in that that, that realm of... um the physics of consciousness. So sure, you, you could be, I suppose, uh, writing a book. That, but then again, you know, it's it's still you writing it. So I think that there might be, under certain circumstances, a certain legitimacy to this. But I think in most cases, you're dealing with somebody who wants to sell a book, and if they can convince people, and you can convince people of anything, convince people that this is a, a matter of a, a dictation that's occurred through a Ouija board, then so much the better for your publicity. So, I, I don't know. I think that that might have been the case here. Let's say you, Ben.
1: No, uh, I, I tend to agree with that. Yeah. I just feel like it's weird that the Ouija board is involved. Uh, so, that's the thing that sort of is making me scratch my head at this.
0: Well, exactly. Exactly. And last night, again, it's a very similar question... Uh, people coming up with uh, with, with uh, books supposedly by Charles Dickens. Uh, there were several that were, I recall, were n- supposedly not written by means of a Ouija board. Uh, one one woman in England said that Charles Dickens simply appeared and dictated the thing to her over the, uh, just into her ear. All right. I think it was a rather disconcerting experience. Yeah. The other thing was about Mozart. You know, that question too. And uh, supposedly pieces of music have been written, uh, supposedly dictated or inspired by Bach or Mozart or some of the other great composers. And the the example was brought up in the question of uh, a distant cousin of ours, uh, Julia Ward Howe, who woke up uh, earlier than she was when it was still dark and just felt compelled to write down the Battle Hymn of the Republic. All right? And she was considered the author of that. So. Uh, I, there are connections, but whether it's, um, you know, actually p- occurred as advertised is, is another another question on that. So I, I don't, I don't yeah, know. Yeah,
1: that's, that's an entirely different kettle of fish. Exactly. So I don't we, don't we do have time for another email, okay, here, here's a short a, a one. <coughs>
0: here's a relatively short one. This is from Jim A. in Auburn, Massachusetts.
1: Alrighty, so Jim
0: writes to us. Hi guys, your recent show on the nature of evil as illustrated by the Connecticut- Oh, this has to do with the Newtown shootings. This is from last year. Some of these emails go back to the 2009, 2010, I'm sorry. I'm Uh, sorry, Ben. Go ahead. This is January of last- of this year, so.
1: Okay. uh, Anyway, um, uh, evil as illustrated by the Connecticut school attack left me fascinated but, depre- uh, fascinated but depressed. I understand your point that people are responsible for their own actions and uh, state of society, but the parasites can exploit that. Uh, you often talk about people and families controlling the influence of parasites in their own lives. Do you see any way that we as a society or species can limit, can limit their influence before we destroy ourselves?
0: Well, that's a, that's a hard-hitting question. Yeah, in the wake of the, uh, terrible Newtown school shootings a year ago, we did a show on evil, which very interestingly, the podcast disappeared. Yeah. And uh, we've never, and uh, we tried to repeat it using the same script at another, on another occasion, but, uh, I don't know, that would, that really disconcerted me in a way that the, we didn't have that show. We, um, had, as it happens, a show reporter in that area. Uh, for several years now and she has uh, been sending us reports of a lot of things that we have not reported on the air having to do with that school shooting uh, because first of all we're not a news show and secondly I don't like to speculate uh, over much about conspiracies and things of this kind that we really don't get into I mean I, you know you have to be really careful with that sort of thing so in any case that's uh, <clears throat> that's the incident being referred to as as you can imagine. The idea that uh, people and families can control the influence of parasites, we've discussed that. Do you see any way that we as a society or a species can limit their influence before we destroy ourselves? I think that there are, I don't know how to put this, but there are times when parasites can and have destroyed worlds. That comes from our ancient legends our ancient scriptures i'm thinking particularly of hindu scriptures and other documents that reflect the remote history of our species i think also that uh, certain people and beings we've run into in the course of paranormal work and, and that i've run into in the course of paranormal work and as uh, was inadvertently communicated with you know and, and whom i believe to be a reliable it indicated the concern, as we have, because th- these are just neighbors of ours. They're not enlightened masters, and they don't really know any more than we do, except that some are more aware of the parallel worlds than we are. That we have um, a certain amount of um, concern and danger uh, from these parasites, because they, in uh, I, th- they have what apparently the, the sharks do, such as feeding frenzies. At certain times, depending on what the source may be. They're very strange critters. Uh, Over the years, I've identified maybe nine species of these things. And uh, they are not nice. They will pretend to be, I suppose, Charles Dickens or whoever. Or they'll pretend to be your Aunt Gertrude, as Ben says, or whoever. And uh, they are not to be believed. And they can be controlled by positive energy, keeping positive feelings in your family. Love, faith, good things, humor. In a positive sense, and this is what uh, maybe uh, Jim is referring to now. I think that as we, if we as a society try to be more positive, that will be a big step forward. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of negative things happening now, nations that really shouldn 't have them I, nobody should have nuclear weapons, I guess you know and Einstein warned about that that once the genie 's out of the bottle, he probably never going to get them back in again before there 's a big disaster. You can just imagine just on that front how parasites might be trying to manipulate things. And again, not to be paranoid, not to be conspiracy theorist type people, but th- these things are worthy of consideration and concern. So, all right, so enough on that unsavory subject, but right. um, keep it positive. That's the thing. All right, well, that's about all we have time for this evening.
1: Ready. So don't forget to visit our show website, BehindTheParanormal.com, where you can find over 500 free podcasts of all of our past shows. You can also check out our site at www.NewEnglandGhosts.com, where there are case studies and photos, along with articles by my dad.
0: And find my books on Barnes & Noble, such as we've referred to tonight, Barnes & Noble Look, e-reader, Amazon Kindle, Amazon.com, and the usual places. But if you buy them directly at our show website, BehindTheParanormal.com, I will be happy to sign them for you, if that gives you any kind of thrill, and you will help us keep all those podcasts free, over 500 of them. Also on our sites, you'll find direct links to the several charities Ben and I have adopted and that we mentioned, including, again, USA Cares and Canadian Veterans Advocacy. Now on our CBS radio edition of the show on Sunday, December 22nd in Boston, Pittsburgh, Detroit, Windsor, and Seattle, Vancouver. We will welcome back. We will. We will have. Um, this script does not have the name. It's. Um,
1: uh, why are you pointing? Him oh there? no, uh,
0: Ed, Decker. Ed Becker. Decker. Becker. Ed I'm Becker. Sorry, yes. That's embarrassing. There we go. Ed Becker, very well known, best-selling author, who wrote uh, wrote the um, a haunting. Book, which it was his own experience and his wife's experience, uh, on that, and it was um, it's going to be quite as interesting because we're going to compare some notes on hauntings we've experienced, so it should be cool.
1: Cool. And uh, next Monday, December twenty third, right here on W O O N twelve forty and O N Worldwide we will welcome back the great Rosemary Ellen Guile for a look at shadow people. And uh, so we're going to leave you this evening with a thought. Wait, 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 wait.
0: We've got to what, tell people that, that the show is going to be at oh, 5 right, o'clock. Oh, right, right, Yes, yes, Not yes. at 6. It's only that one time because we're, yes, we're making Milk Fund. W- yes,
1: we're making way for uh, Romeo, yeah. Romeo Berthium, and uh, a special uh, event for the Milk Fund.
0: Right. That's so we'll be on it we'll uh, live at 5 o'clock rather than 6 just for next week, the right. 23rd.
1: All righty. So that is about all the time that we have. I'm Ben Eno.
0: And I'm Paul Eno. Thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey. See you next time at 5 o'clock.